morning, we confess we need you. We need you in this place. We need you here with us. Without you, without your Holy Spirit's presence, nothing else matters. Without you, this is just noise. This is just uh, sounds on a guitar, a piano, and our voices. Lord, we need you. May your Holy Spirit, your presence, fill and flood this place. May you fill each of our hearts to overflowing Jesus. This morning, as, as I am bringing your message, as I am bringing your word in this place, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just flood this place. I pray for uh, a people that don't just hear your word, but respond to your word in action, Lord. If we have not yet come to a place in each of our hearts where we are following you with everything we have, I pray that today would be the day. I pray that today would be the salvation for that one person that maybe you are drawing, Lord. I pray that today, that today is the day where someone has been holding on to something and they let that go. Lord, uh, when we go through tough seasons, you are with us and you want what is best for us. So I pray your Holy Spirit would have all of us, not just a part of our hearts, not just a part of our, our soul, but everything we have, Jesus, is yours. And I pray that that prayer would be on everyone's hearts this morning, Jesus. In your mighty and precious name I pray, amen. Well, this morning we're talking about prayer. And I hope that for those of you this morning that would say that you are a Christian, prayer is not something foreign to you. Uh, our main text is arguably one of the best passages, best known passages in the Bible about prayer. And it's called the Lord's Prayer because Jesus, the risen Lord, when he was still on earth, this was the prayer that he gave to his, uh, his disciples as an example. And it's a common prayer that is memorized by many in different versions all throughout the world for centuries. And however, while it may be familiar, I pray that it wouldn't be too familiar to you this morning that you, that you disengage, but that you, that you sit and listen and see what the Holy Spirit would have you to know and to do this morning. So Jesus used this not as an exact formula for us to follow every time we pray, but as an example, as a model, something that we could take and use. And before we read it, though, I thought I would maybe answer some of the, the questions, the most common questions about prayer. So what is prayer? Why is prayer necessary? How does prayer work? That is, how can a simple, finite human being uh, into, or come into dialogue with an infinite, all-powerful God? Does prayer even do anything, or is it just words in the air? Does prayer actually make God do something, or does God actually have decided everything ahead of time before we even open our mouths? So the last question itself is something that is very complicated to answer, and it depends on your, uh, the person that you would ask, how the answer that you would get. But the one thing that is super clear in Scripture is that uh, we have examples of times when God said he was going to do something and somebody prayed and God changed his mind. So God declared that he was going to wipe out the Hebrew people in the Old Testament and Moses as their leader and as their prophet, God said, I'm going to use you and I'm going to rebuild the nation. I'm done with them. They've, they've disappointed me. They've walked away too many times. And Moses pleaded with God and said, God, please relent. Please do not destroy the people. How would that look? All the other nations will look and say that God wasn't powerful enough to do this. And God relented. God was gracious to them. And throughout scripture and church history, we see this over and over again, the importance and the prevalence of prayer. 
William Carey, who is known as the founder of modern missions, had a high regard for prayer. And he's, uh, prayer, he showed, is the most central of all spiritual disciplines because it ushers us into communion and into relationship with God. William Carey once wrote, Real prayer is life-creating and life-changing. Prayer, secret, fervent, believing prayer, lies at the root of all personal godliness. Most of the time when we think about prayer, we think about it as asking God to do something, and then hoping that he does it. However, prayer is not necessarily always about changing God's mind or making him act in a certain way. Instead, most of the time, it's actually us aligning ourselves with what he wills. And so God speaks to us through the intimacy of prayer and just the stillness of abiding in his presence. God desires greatly for us to be in an intimate and personal relationship with him. And that's our greatest need. As human beings, all of the suffering that we go through, all of the sickness, all of the sadness, all of the brokenness in the world is due to a broken relationship with our creator. And so what we need most of all is for ourselves and the whole world to be reconciled to him. And so we're going to be reading from Matthew 6, 5 to 15, and I'm going to be reading it out of the ESV, but I encourage you to turn there in a hard copy Bible or in an iBible if you have it. But as people are turning or swiping there, I just want to ask, who knows what a sword drill is? Anybody? Okay, so for those that may be not familiar, a sword drill is uh, it's something that you do when you're trying to race to try and find a passage in the Bible. And uh, I wish if I was more prepared, I would have had... There's a, there's a verse, I think it's Paul, he says the, the Bible is a sword, is living and active. And, uh, and so the sword drill is people drilling to try and find where it is in Scripture. And I, I did this with uh, my old youth group in Edmonton, and uh, we actually proved definitively 99% of the time, I made up that stat, but uh, a hard copy Bible was way faster than an iBible. The computer had to think, but someone who actually knew where passages were could flip there way faster than a computer could get there. So just, I, I like a hard copy, I like computers, but you know, let's, to Matthew 6, 5 to 15. I'll race you, I'm already there, but. Okay, Matthew 6, 5 to 15, and this is uh, subtitled, The Lord's Prayer. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard by their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive other their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. May God bless the reading of his word. 
when Jesus was on earth doing his, his earthly ministry, uh, he was constantly teaching his disciples. He often would uh, take them aside after they had just experienced something and then break it down for them and teach it to them. And in one of the other gospel accounts in this passage, uh, it came as uh, one of the disciples had asked him, Lord, can you teach us how to pray? They were, they were familiar with prayer. Their culture was a culture of praying, but they wanted to know what their teacher had to say about prayer. And so Jesus would use their experiences and what they were going through as opportunities to teach them. And Jesus doesn't just talk about it. He actually shows them, this is how you can pray. And in Matthew 6, 5 to 6, when he's telling them this, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Uh, what he's talking about is the religious leaders in the day that loved to stand in prominent places where there were people walking by and they would pray loudly and in fancy ways using big theological terms in order for other people to see them as holy. They wanted other people to go, look at that person. They pray, they have names of God I've never even heard of before. They, they must be holy. And that, what Jesus says is that's the only reward they'll get. They'll get the reward of the attention of other people. They want other people to see them as holy. They want to be regarded as high and holy. Well, that's all they get. But Jesus instead says, what you are to do is to go privately into your room and pray to the Lord. So Jesus is saying it's not about getting attention from other people. It's about your relationship with your Father. And now I'm not saying in this that there isn't a place for public prayer and being profound prayer and even long prayers. But that's not all it's about. Jesus is saying the core is about a relationship with him. That is the core of what prayer is about. It's about talking with your loving Father in heaven. It's not about getting the attention of other people. And in Matthew 6, 7, 8, when he says that uh, not to use phrases over and over again and long phrases, the pagans in that day would recite the names of their gods over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And that gets a little repetitive, right? And this endless repetition, that's what they're referring to. He's saying uh, that you're not just supposed to just say a phrase over and over and over again, just hoping that God will hear you if you say it a thousand times versus 900 times. But what he's saying is God already knows what you want. And uh, I want to put a pretty caution there. There are times when the spirit moves and the only thing you can say is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And that's all you can say. And that can be your prayer. And there are, be, there are even times, it says in the Bible, when you can't even say words. But then it says the Holy Spirit will intercede for you with groanings deeper than words. There are times when you get hit by something, a circumstance in life, you, you, can't, you don't even know what to say. So you just say Jesus, and that's it. That can be your prayer. Or uh, one of the prayers I've been saying lately is help. That's, that's the only prayer I can pray, help. And it, Jesus then goes on to give an example of prayer. And this example of prayer is profound because it shows the importance of our relationship with God. It starts by calling on God as our Father. That is an intimate relationship. In, uh, in the Old Testament, uh, Jews, the Old Testament Jewish people would never say the name of God aloud. It was too holy to say aloud. And so Jesus is talking about God in such an intimate way. It is relational. It's saying God loves me like a father and a perfect love. This shows the intimacy. So God is not some distant, angry deity that you're trying to appease with the right words or the right sentences or the right names. He is our loving Father who is present 
and wants what is best for us before we even ask or say it ourselves. He's our Father. He wants us to be close to us. He wants us to be with Him. And He wants us to say whatever's on our hearts. And after this introduction to God, there are six petitions directed to Him that give the proper priorities we are to have. And the first three focus on God. They don't focus on asking what people want. They don't focus on anything else but on God, on His power, and on His will. So in prayer, we are come first. The first thing that we should do is to give God glory. Say, God, you are amazing. God, you are mighty. God, you are strong. Whatever you can think of, if, uh, whatever that you feel about God, you pour out that praise to him. And then after that, it uh, says that God is in heaven. God is God. God is Lord. God is sovereign. He is above us. And he is sitting in the place of perfection and on the throne of power and sovereignty. That is recognizing that God is supreme. And the, th- uh, the next phrase is, hallowed be thy name. Now, who used the word hallowed this week in a conversation? No? I, I, I was going to ask Wes this, but I don't think they use this in Penn High very often. I don't think they're going around and say, man, that basketball team was hallowed. Man, that was... No, this isn't, this isn't a very common earthly or a common phrase in English because hallowed means holy. It means reverent. And so it's saying even the very name of God is holy. So that's a recognition that God is Lord. God is our king and he is worthy of praise. The next petition is for God's kingdom to come. We are in a weird time. We are in the in-between time. Jesus has conquered sin and death. And people are still sinful and people still die. God's kingdom has come, and it's not yet here. So what Jesus is saying here is that we need to pray for the kingdom to come more here. We need to pray for it to be ushered in. God's kingdom is here and in presence and in power, but not fully yet. So it's recognizing that God is sovereign, and God is in control, and yet he still allows terrible and sad things to happen. So the presence of God's kingdom in this age refers to the reign of Jesus Christ in the hearts and in the lives of believers. God doesn't force himself on people. So God's kingdom will only come into those people who have surrendered their lives to him. God doesn't force it on that day. And the mystery of it all is that God says the reason that there is still sin and death in the world is because he is merciful, because he is gracious. Because he is waiting for more and more people to be told about the hope and the truth that can be found in Jesus Christ alone. And for them to respond, to have the chance to respond to that hope. And so this ushering and asking for the kingdom of come is for the kingdom, for God to have his way in every person in the world. And then the third petition speaks of God's will. This is talking about God's revealed will. The things that he has already told us in the Bible that he wants to happen. We know that that God wants all people to come to faith in him. That is what it says in the Bible. That God hopes that all would come to him. Jesus died for the sins of all the world. But as I said, not all the world accepts that. You can forgive somebody. But unless they actually apologize and are willing to change their behavior, you can't be reconciled to them. So God forgives people. 
but they have to be willing to say, I don't want to be Lord of my life. I want you to be Lord of my life, Jesus, for them to come back to relationship with him. And so the, uh, the next petition after this is for daily bread. This is our daily needs. Jesus told us that we don't live on bread alone, but as humans, we can't live without food or water or shelter. And I would say even more than that, we can't live without uh, emotional needs. Humans have a, a need for community, a need for acceptance, for love, and for hope. We need hope even when we realize the situation seems hopeless. There was a man that was, uh, that was a Jewish man in the, uh, the Holocaust, and he, uh, he wrote a book on suffering, and uh, I, his name escapes me at this moment, but he said that he could tell when someone was going to die. Not based off of uh, how they looked physically, because they all looked terrible. They were all malnourished. But he could tell in their eyes when they had given up hope. And that's when he knew the end was coming. And he said that there were people that, that still had a relationship with God in the depths of that darkness that were able to, the, the crumb of bread they have, they were able to share with those who were too weak for themselves. There can be hope in the darkest of places. And humans, we need that hope. But it can only be found in Jesus. And the fifth petition is for forgiveness. This recognizes that we need God most of all. We can't do it on our own. There's no such thing as being good enough to be loved by God. We don't have to do anything to be loved by God. Because we can't be good enough. We all fell short when we chose to sin. And so it's saying that outside of God's grace, we're hopeless. There's no hope, but Jesus offers us that hope. He says that if we ask for forgiveness, he will surely forgive us. So we need his love, and he offers that to all of us. But he also asks us to forgive others. So when others hurt us, if we choose to hold on to that hurt and be angry and be resentful, then Jesus is saying, then why would he forgive us? Because then we obviously don't understand his forgiveness. If we who have hurt him so badly would choose to, when someone hurts us a little bit, to hold on to that, then we make little of God's forgiveness. We say, well, that's nice God forgave, forgave me because I'm pretty good, but that person, they, they were rude to me. I'm never going to forgive them. They did this to me. Well, if, if God only knew, well, our, our, what we did to God was far worse than what anyone could ever do to us. So it is saying we need to forgive others no matter what. And this is asking for a restoration for ourselves, for a deeper relationship with Jesus. And the last and final petition is for help in the spiritual battle of this world. This is about the battle against sin and temptation. And this is absolutely crucial because we have an enemy. We have an enemy that wants to steal kill, and destroy. He wants to take us out. He, he does not want us to accept God's forgiveness. He doesn't want us to, uh, to, to follow in relationship with him. And this battle is constant. And it's crucial for everyone to realize that this enemy wants to take us out. And once we have come to saving faith in Jesus, the battle gets worse. The battle gets harder. Jesus, once we come to saving faith in Jesus, the only thing that can take us away from him is ourselves. Jesus says there's nothing that can pluck us out of his hand. 
but we can choose to move out of it. We can choose to reject him. And so the, the enemy wants to take us out. So when there are hard situations that come in our life, when there are difficult things, we have to be aware that no matter what we are going through, God is still good. That no matter how bleak the day seems, or the night seems, the day is still coming. And regardless of what hope that we see in this world, we have the hope in an eternity with Jesus. And the enemy cannot take that away. But trial and hardships are inevitable. They're going to happen. And we can either choose to uh, be angry and upset with God, or we can choose to walk closer to him through this. And now it's okay to be upset with God. David, in the Psalms, he cried out some of the most emotional responses. He poured out all of his emotions to God because he wasn't scared of what God would do to him. He knew that God loved him. He knew that God, that God would forgive him of anything as long as he gave uh, it to him. But if instead, if we try to clean ourselves up and go, well, I can't, I can't say that to God, and we try to hide it from him or whatever, we try to bleach our, our words, we're, just, we're not fooling anybody. God knows us. God knows our heart. So when we, when we are tempted to sin, we take that to God. We don't need to clean ourselves up before we go to God. We ask God to help us through those things. And Jesus also tells us specifically to ask for protection from evil or the evil one, the great enemy who wants to drag us away. And the way to combat this is just to stay with God no matter what. So will we let the enemy win by getting mad at God and distancing ourselves from him when bad things happen? Or when bad things happen, will we draw closer to him? Because honestly, when bad things happen, we need him even more. We recognize our need. It's easy to realize that, uh, that, well, God is there when I need him and everything's going well. But then we get mad at him when something bad happens. And we go, well, God, where were you? And he could easily say the same to us. When I was blessing you, where were you? I was here. In James 4, 2 to 3, it says this. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. James is telling us that nothing significant happens in the kingdom apart from prayer. Earlier in James, he says, if you lack wisdom, ask God, and he'll surely give it to you. We need help, we ask God for help, and he'll give it to us. Now, this isn't saying that God will always give us what we want, but he'll always give us what we need. He'll always give us what we need for that day. And it's not, uh, there's a great mystery that happens, and it's, and it's almost baffling to me that God uses people to spread the kingdom. Because why? Like, he, like he would do a far better job by himself. But he said it's actually, Jesus actually said before he ascended back to heaven, it is better if I go because you can do more. Not on our own, but through the Holy Spirit's helping. He said we would go on to do greater things than him. Him in his, in his limited capacity as a one man on this earth, we could be everywhere where he could only be one place in, that, in his body. And so God wants to use people to spread the gospel. God wants to use people to touch other people. Uh, Pastor Neil has shared before that we are, the, we are the incarnate presence of God. 
there are times when we when we're prompted to do something by the holy spirit and if we follow through we can in in a profound way be jesus to that person because we we have his presence in us and so i want to re-emphasize though as as important as prayer is and as important as it is to ask god for what is on our heart prayer is is often about changing us it's about changing us as individuals it's about changing us as a church to pray is to change and prayer is the central avenue god uses to transform us to be more like jesus so in prayer in real prayer we begin to think god's thoughts after him there's uh jesus says that we are to pray for our enemies and the reason that we're supposed to pray for our enemies is because if you're mad at someone and you hate somebody in that moment because of what they have done to you if you start praying for them you get God's heart for that person. You see that how much God loves them. And you see instead of being angry at them, you see the brokenness that is there. And you see the need for forgiveness that is there. And you start to love that person. So when we pray, we get God's heart and eyes for people. So as we pray, we progressively are taught to see things from God's point of view. Therefore, when we are praying and we say, "Not my will be done," but your will be done as Jesus did in the garden of Gethsemane before he was betrayed when he was walking to the cross and he knew that he would have to suffer this horrible persecution and death this excruciating pain he said god father if you could take this cup away from me please do so but not my will be done your will be done and so when we when we are going through something that is terrible and tragic and hard and we are asking for God to do something and we say not my will be done but your will be done it's not a cop out it's not saying well just in case god doesn't do what i ask then at least i i had that little precursor in there no we ask in faith hoping that we know the will of the father but we recognize that he is sovereign he is lord he is the one who ultimately decides and and it's not a matter of the size of our faith. Jesus says if we have the tiniest amount of faith as a mustard seed, we can command a mountain, you move from here and jump into the sea and that's enough faith. So yes, we need to have faith when we when we pray, but it's not about telling God what he has to do. It's about asking our loving father what he's going to do. He's Lord. So even if he says no to our deep desires and our pleadings, we recognize he is Lord. And it's about what he wills, not about what we will. So when we say not my will be done but yours it's an act of deep surrender and saying god i have i have told you and you know what is on my heart but don't give me what i want do what you want give me what i need through this god i feel like i need this but you know what is best you do what is truly best in this situation i want this to happen i want the circumstances changed but you do what you know is best. Now we need to pray even when we are busy and in fact we should even pray more the busier we are. Martin Luther declares, I have so much business I cannot get on without spending 3 hours daily in prayer. Martin Luther was an incredibly uh, busy man. He wrote a ton of sermons, he wrote a ton of academia. He was not a perfect man, but He recognized that he was so busy he needed God more. 
And there's a, there's a book by Bill Hybels that I'm starting to read. It's called Too Busy Not to Pray. It's by a pastor who recognized that he was going through so many things and he was neglecting his prayer life. He was doing as much as he could and then he realized God doesn't do anything important or eternal without prayer. And he said this. He said, uh, when we, through work, or sorry, when we work, we work. When we pray, God works. And through prayer, God gives us his peace. In our theological background, John Wesley says this about prayer. He said, God does nothing but an answer to prayer. And one of the great mysteries is that God chooses to use us to build the kingdom. And it's not that God couldn't do what he wanted to outside of us, that he chooses not to. He chooses to allow us to participate. And in 1 Corinthians 3, 9a, Paul writes, For we are God's fellow workers. And so we have the blessing and the opportunity to work alongside what God wants to do in the world. And what an important calling is that. We are to change the world by prayer. Isn't that amazing calling? And it's not to be prideful. It's not to be boasting. Look how amazing I am. It's we have an amazing God. And we have the chance to work alongside him to change other people's lives. We have an opportunity to, when we get to heaven, not just get there on our own, but see the people that we influenced to get there. The people that we prayed for. The people we run into throughout the street. And then I was reading, uh, I was reading in Too Busy Not To, or uh, yeah, I think it was Too Busy Not To Pray, and it was talking about how uh, in America they've outlawed prayer in a lot of schools and things like that, and it's been like that for ages here. You can't outlaw prayer. You can outlaw someone praying out loud in their classroom. You can't outlaw that person, that teacher, praying constantly for the kids in their classroom. The Bible says to pray without ceasing. Prayer isn't something that you do that takes up time. Prayer is everything you do. Prayer is our relationship and our communion and our talking with God. God is spirit. God is everywhere. There's nowhere that you go. You don't, you don't have to go to a special place to pray. You can pray everywhere. I know uh, Andrew, he's not here, so I'll talk about him. But he, uh, he constantly is praying. I, 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 I wish I had a prayer life as, as rich as him. He, as he's cutting trees, he's constantly asking God, what should I do? Should I cut this? Should I not cut this? And sometimes he'll, he'll uh, ignore it a little bit, and then it'll keep going, and then it'll be louder and louder. And it's just amazing. He's just constantly in prayer to God. And that's what we are to do. It's not that you have to set aside necessarily 12 hours a day to go sit in a closet and pray. That you could do that if that's what the Lord is calling you to, but it can be in everything. It can be the quick, help me. Give me the strength. You see somebody, you start praying for them. That is what it can be about. So as we are, as we are going on this morning, in John fifteen seven, it says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. The qualifier here, if you notice, is abiding in Jesus. If you abide in Jesus, that's again another word we don't use very often in the high schools around here, but abide means to just be with Jesus, to soak in his presence. And the point here isn't that just if you spend enough time with Jesus, anything that you want, he'll give you. If you're spending that much time with Jesus, What you're asking for is going to be what he wants anyway. And so prayer isn't just about talking 
at God. It's about a conversation. Soren Kierkegaard said, he's a, a philosopher, he said, A man prayed, and at first he thought that prayer was talking. But he became more and more quiet, until in the end he realized that prayer is listening. So prayer isn't about manipulating God and telling him what to do. Quite the opposite. You're asking God, tell me what to do. Tell me what you want. So let us as a church, as a family, as anybody here that that knows Jesus, let us be a place where the Spirit of God reigns. Let us be a people of prayer. God needs to move powerfully among us, and he won't do it without prayer. Not just on Sundays or as uh, Pastor Michael calls, quick shower prayers, but we need to learn to pray at all times. In the good times and in the bad times, when something comes up, or when there's nothing that we specifically know about. Now, I need to uh, transition to something that's going to be a little bit harder here. I'm talking about prayer very specifically, because God is very clearly leading us into a, a season of prayer. And uh, this isn't going to be, I think, a, sh- a short season of prayer. And I think it should be something, churches should always be places of prayer. Communities of faith should always be people of prayer. If we, have an, we have an amazing mission that Jesus has given us. And it's impossible on our strength. It's impossible. You can't, you can't learn enough. You can't be good enough. You can't do enough to change the world. No matter how many of us get together, no matter how smart we are, we can't change the world. Only God can do that. So when Jesus says, go into the world and make disciples of all nations, That's to make all people aware of Jesus. Tell them the truth of the gospel and then leave it up to the spirit of Jesus. But he won't do that without prayer. So do we want to change the city of Penticton? Do we want the Okanagan to glorify and to praise God? If we want that to happen, that will only happen through prayer. Personal prayer, corporate prayer. And uh, I've written, I've written this out as a letter so that I can, I can try and get through this, but uh, I know that many of you have been worried about Pastor Neil and his sickness recently, and he's conspicuous in his absence over the last few weeks. And uh, I know that many of you have been praying for him, and I would encourage you to keep praying for him. And he, I know he's been sorely missed because he's, he's loved and he's served here faithfully so many years, and we're, we're hoping and praying it'll be many more. But... Uh, and he was really hoping to be able to preach here in person this morning, or even on FaceTime, God bless technology, but, but he didn't have a very good night, and so he's, he's staying home and resting, but he's hoping in faith that he'll be here with us next week. Um, and, and understandably, uh, he, ha- he hasn't wanted this to become public yet until, until this morning because he didn't want to worry people unnecessarily. Uh, but obviously a lot of people know that he has been sick, and uh, to keep him away from here, it has to be sickness, because he wants to be here as much as he can. And uh, so the last, the last few weeks, he's been having some unusual symptoms, and uh, he got some testing done, including a CT scan a couple weeks ago, and during the scan, they found a growth on his pancreas. So this, uh, this growth had been blocking off two of his ducts, uh, his bile duct, which causes jaundice, and a pancreatic duct as well. 
And this past week, he had a surgery to put in two stents in order to open up these ducts and restore the, the function of his, of his pancreas. And, um, and so he's able to, now the jaundice is starting to fade and it's getting better. And that surgery was uh, successful. Uh, the, other, the other part of the surgery was to do a biopsy on this growth. Uh, so there's, there's no easy way to say this, but the, the growth that they have found and the results that he's gotten from that biopsy is pancreatic cancer. And, uh, and it's quite a serious uh, disease. It's quite a serious illness. Uh, the medical options that he has been presented with are very limited. Uh, Neil and Heather will be meeting with an oncologist uh, to give as much relief as possible to his symptoms, but the, the doctors are not talking about a cure. The doctors are talking about palliative treatment. Now, uh, I want to be very, very uh, careful here that we, we have our focus. Pancreatic cancer is a serious illness, and, but we serve an infinite and a mighty God. God is the author of life. He created Neil, and he loves him more than we can possibly understand or come to realize. And God is as saddened by illness and death as we are. It breaks God's heart even more than us. It's not, it's not God's will that people get sick and sad. It was not God's will that sin came into the world and these consequences happened. So... While the medical system will do what they can to help Neil through this illness, we are now left with a choice. Are we going to choose despair or hope? Are we going to trust what doctors say is the diagnosis finally, or are we going to trust in God as Lord? We must choose hope. We must choose to hope in Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. God is bigger than cancer. God is bigger than all of the problems we face. God's arm is not short. And as a church family, we must choose to hope in our Lord Jesus. God is faithful and he is good no matter what. The situation of our beloved pastor may seem dire and desperate, but we serve a God of the impossible. The situation is beyond us, but it is within God's power. We do not know what God is going to do. But as a church, we are going to pray for Pastor Neil to be restored to us. We're praying for a miracle. Now, before I, before I keep going here, I just want to say this before I forget. Pastor Neil, as you can understand, is quite ill. And we know that he is very well loved by, by all of the people in this church. But uh, the one thing that he, has, that he has asked for is for his house to be a house of refuge. He is quite tired and he needs to rest. And so, uh, he, but he wanted to emphasize he loves you all, and he wants to visit with you. He wants to visit with, with friends and, and family and all of these things. But for, for the, the near future, he just wants his house to be a place of just rest. So we're asking people to respect that, not to, not to call him, not to text him, not to drop by. But what he is going to do is on the days that he is well enough to visit, he's going to be coming into the church and be in his office, and he'll have an open door. People can come in and visit him. And so what he, is, what he was planning the last time I talked to him was between 12.30 and 1.30 during the weekdays. So we would ask just people that want to come visit him to call the office and see if he's well enough to be there that, 
that morning, and then he'd love to have and visit with as many of you as can come. And uh, yeah, so we just ask for the, for the near future, just um, the, the surgery that he had last week really wiped him out, and so he's quite, he's quite tired and still trying to get over that. But uh, when, I'm, when I've been meeting with Pastor Neil, he's very hopeful for what God can do. He knows that even if the worst should happen, that God is still his master and his Lord. And when I was talking to Neil after he found out his final diagnosis, he shared how he had been praying to God and asking for the strength to hold on to Jesus. And Jesus responded to him and said, My child, you are not holding on to me. I'm holding on to you. I've got you. Jesus has Neil. Neil is in the care and the loving arms of our Lord and Master Jesus, and there's no better place for him to be. I do not know what God's going to do in the coming months with Neil or in the years to come, but I do trust that God will do what is best. God has our church in his hands. And as I said, this season is going to be a season of prayer. And as a church, we do have limited options to help him, but the options we have are the most important ones. Let us choose to put our faith, our hope, and our trust in Jesus alone. And we're going to pray for him to move in a big way. So our church needs the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to pray for more, more faith, more power, and more of God's presence in this place. And we can't do this without God, but he won't do it without us. So pray for Neil. Pray for Heather. Pray for their family. Pray for all of us as a church family. God has big plans for our church, and the enemy is trying to plant lies in us that says that God is not good or that he's not caring or kind. God knows what it is to lose somebody close to him. God cares so much about our suffering and our pain that he sent Jesus to pay the ultimate cost to restore us to himself. So no matter what happens to Neil in the near future, we know where he is ultimately going. And we trust God to embrace him there, whether his time on the earth be long or short. And none of us knows the day or the hour that we'll be reunited with Jesus, but that's our ultimate hope. Until that day, we pray for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Now, we're going to respond to this news the only way that we should. And that's that we're going to gather as a church at the front and we're going to pray for God to move in a big way. We are going to intercede on Neil's behalf, on their family's behalf. But as, as important as Neil is to us, there are other people that need Jesus to move to. There are other people who need healing. There are other people who need God's help. So I want to encourage all of us. The altar, the altar isn't just a place that you go when you have something that you personally need to give to God. It's for everybody. You can come here for somebody else. You can come here for yourself. You can come whatever. So I would ask that we fill the, the, the front here and that we would pray for people. If you, if you want to ask someone specifically for prayer, ask any of the board members. And if you want prayer for healing, the Bible says to ask the elders and they'll anoint you with oil and pray for them. So Michael will help lead us in that. But... I just want to encourage you in this, choose hope. This is a sad news. This is a sad day, but there is eternal hope in Jesus. So would you please join me in prayer and then come to the front and anyone who is, who is led to pray, go out and pray, pray out loud. This doesn't need to be, this doesn't need to be organized here. You don't need to wait your turn. Just pray. Father God, you are good no matter what. 
You are mighty. You are strong. You are sovereign. You are the mighty king. You are the king of kings and the Lord of lords. You are the author of life, and you are the founder and perfecter of our faith. Jesus, we need you. We need your help. We need your strength. We need your spirit's presence in us, Lord. And Pastor Neil needs you. Heather needs you, Lord, they're, as they're dealing with practical concerns, Lord. And I know that, excuse me, they are leaning on you through this. And every step that they take, they are taking in obedience to you, Jesus. And I pray that you would move in a big way. I pray that your Holy Spirit, your healing presence would touch cancer that is in Pastor Neil and that you would remove it, Lord. That you would restore him to full health and bring him back to us, Lord. I pray that your Holy Spirit's presence of peace would be felt in the midst of the storm, Lord, that, uh, that you would help Neil to get the rest that he needs and that we are able to, to see his wonderful face here next week, Lord, giving us your word. I ask for that in your powerful and precious name, Jesus. Father God in heaven, here are your children before you you sent your son pastor Adrian with a message and a reminder that in times of crisis and when our heart is overwhelmed we need to run to the rock that is higher than I and that rock is you Jesus here we are this morning we've been here before Lord and I know your children are saying this morning Lord not again we've been here before Lord our heart's desires was something else, but your answer was different to that. But we heard the story this morning from the pulpit, Lord, of Moses praying to you and moving your hand. We don't know, Lord, what plans you have for Reverend Neil Allen Brand. A man you call and set apart and anoint to lead many to Christ. But this morning, Lord, he's not here. He is in the bed of affliction. It did not take you by surprise. You know that this was going to happen. And we are so glad that we have Pastor Adrian standing in the gap. And so, Lord, as he preached this morning, we are not just here to cry and to call upon you. We are here to thank you for what you have done. Adrian was in Alberta, wasn't thinking of Penticton, but you were thinking of us. So we glad we are glad that you send him to us. And so we ask that you will anoint him. That you will strengthen him. 
that you will give him wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. That you will bless him with courage. And in the days when he is weak, hallelujah, that you will be his strength. This is not a time or a season, Lord, that he could have foresaw. But you knew that this time was coming. So as his days, you promise, so shall his strength be. I ask you, Lord, that you touch your son, Adrian, one more time. Here we are gathered together. You said, Lord, if we are in agreement, and we are in agreement this morning for Reverend Neil Allen Brand. And so, Almighty God, we've heard the diagnosis, but we haven't heard the final answer yet. Because that comes from you. Our help cometh from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And that's where we are sending our request to. It's your child. Hallelujah. You have taken him a mighty long way. We didn't come this way last night. We came by faith. And that's what we are leaning on tonight. And this afternoon. And tomorrow morning, we are going to lean on faith. Faith not in ourselves, but faith in you. Father, in this church, in this congregation, kneeling at your altar, are testimonies of people, Lord, who were given over to death by doctors. But we, Lord, know because we see them walking among us. As evidence of your glory and your majesty. Of evidence of your grace. So we know that what you've done before, you can do it again. Yes, Lord, we have been there. We did pray for Pastor Jamie. We did fast and you took a different course. And we know that whatever you do, you do it well. So here we are again, Lord. We are calling again for Pastor Neil. We are calling for strength, Lord. We are calling for complete healing. You are the God that healeth and forgiveth all iniquities. You can do it for him. But Lord, we heard again from the throne. We heard through your word this afternoon from Pastor Adrian. We still have to say, Lord, but if not, but if not, Lord, let thy will be done. Grace, Lord. Extend grace to the broken heart of your children. You hear the cries. You said, Lord, you collect our tears in a vase. These are cries, Lord, of affection and love for a man that you have given to this church. Father, these are not cry because we are out of hope. We are crying because we are hopeful. We are hopeful, Lord, that you who do it all things well will touch your child, Pastor Neil Allen Brand. We pray, Almighty God, for his wife, our sister Ether. We pray, Lord, as she is his helpmate, that you will strengthen her. That, Father, as she is the matriarch of her family, that you will endow her with wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Father, we know that there is purpose in this. We know, Lord, we don't know what message, but we know, Lord, you don't do anything 
just for the sake of doing it. So, Lord, draw your people together. Help us, Lord, to draw closer to you in this time of crisis. Father, we can choose to fight or to take flight, but we are choosing to fight, Lord. We are choosing to fight cancer, not in our strength, but in the strength of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. The kings of kings and the lords of lords, the one whose name is bigger than cancer, the one who has all power in his name. That's the name that we are fighting under. You are still Jehovah Shammah. You are the God who is not somewhere else. You are right here with your children. Father, this week will be a tough week for your children. But you said, when our heart is overwhelmed, we should run to the rock. The rock that is higher than I, and that is you, Jesus. Father, help us today. Help your children to come to the understanding of what we are hearing, of what we are, uh, what we are understanding, Lord. And we know what our limitations are. But we know, Lord, your power is limitless. We are going to be calling on you daily, hourly, minutely. And, Father, we are going to wait upon you to hear the testimony of victory, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you for hearing our prayer. And thank you, Lord, for undertaking for us. We know, Lord, that you were hearing and you were busy doing it before we call. As we wait upon you, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. This is not the, the end. And the message today is that we should not go about our business as people without hope. You know, Pastor Neil um, is someone I count as my mentor. And I'm sure each one of us will have a different name for him. And he's loved and we will continue to love him. And we'll continue to pray for him. Let's not be crisis Christians that we weep and we only pray when there's a crisis. But we need this week and the weeks to come to press in. We cannot do anything more. But we can do more by praying for him. Not just Pastor Neil, but remember Pastor's um, wife, Heather. Remember his children. Remember Pastor Adrian. Remember Deb that work in the office. She's worked with Pastor Neil for, for many years. And she too has questions and, and concerns. So, so pray for her strength. When you feel down this week, pray. When you feel like hope is losing, Sing, even if you don't have a voice like mine, just sing anyway. Make whatever noise you want to do, make unto the Lord. He will hear you. He will answer you. <clears throat> Remember what he says in Chronicles. If my people were called by my name, will humble themselves, seek my face, pray, turn from our ways, then he will hear from heaven and heal our land. Let's call unto the Lord. Don't forget to pray without ceasing. 